Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And just so you know, I was back there when I heard no one cheer for me when Jen said my name. So um, I, I know that about us now. So that's fine. It's totally, it's totally fine. Um, I love you anyway, just enough to get to heaven. So just know that. Just know just know that. Well, I have the privilege of continuing our Bible study in the book of First John today. But before we go to First John, I actually... I actually want to read a passage from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be in verse 1. We'll also put the words on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one today, so come see me at the welcome station before you leave. But we're starting in Genesis and not 1 John because as we've been studying 1 John over the past couple months, we've learned that what is true of this book is, is true of many New Testament writings that oftentimes the author repeats himself in some of the themes. Now, the reason that this is usually done in ancient literature, particularly ancient Jewish literature, was due to the fact that they had no way of emphasizing what they were writing. They didn't have highlighters. They didn't typically underline their texts. They didn't put it in all caps or italics. What they did to emphasize points was to repeat themselves. And so we find this often throughout the Bible, and we find it often in the book of 1 John. So what's happening as we're studying it, since we're not studying it thematically, which is taking the different themes and speaking about the different themes, we're studying it passage by passage. So each week we pick up where we left off before. What we're doing is stumbling into themes that we've already discussed and will, in fact, discuss again. And so, in order to help us absorb those things, which are important because they have been repeated and God is attempting to emphasize them to us, in order to absorb them more easily, we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Now, something else that Old Test- New Testament authors often did as well was to quote the Old Testament. The reason they did this is because that was the only scripture they had at the time. They didn't have the 66 books of the Bible that we have now, Old and New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. And so they would often quote that in their attempt to help make sense of what God was doing in rescuing the world from sin through Jesus. And if you've been reading ahead in 1 John, which I encourage you to do, read the whole book to get an idea of what we're studying as we continue to go. If you've been reading ahead, once I read Genesis chapter 4, it will make sense to you why we're there. So is it okay if we go ahead and read that? Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That tells us right there in what way he knew her. She conceived and bore a son named Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So this name Cain sounds like the Hebrew word for I got something. So she named him Cain because she got a 
son from the Lord. Verse 2 says, again, she bore his brother Abel. So she had another kid, and she named him Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So Abel is a shepherd, and Cain is a master gardener. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. He brought the Lord what he had from his garden. He brought him fruits and vegetables, I assume. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, And of their fat portions, he brought what he had, the very best that he could bring. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us why. We can speculate why God would have rejected Cain's offering of fruit and vegetables and yet accepted Abel's offering of lamb Um, It just says to me that maybe God does hate vegetarians. (laughs) Maybe, I I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that for sure, but we can infer that. And so if that is you, I'm sorry. Maybe there's hope for you, which we'll discuss today. But it doesn't tell us exactly why God would have rejected it. All we can do is, is do this is assume that God knew something about Cain that we don't know. God knew something about Cain's heart that we don't get a picture of. And so, Cain, since God rejected his offering, verse 5, Cain was very angry at that, and his face fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. We'll talk about that a little bit today. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule Over it. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother, Abel? Now, God knows where Abel is, right? We understand that, that God's God's not in the dark. God's not not really questioning. I I can't see Abel anywhere. He knows where he is. What he's doing is confronting. Cain. And so he says to him, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, it wasn't my turn to watch him. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. Before we go any further and talk about what it means to love one another, which is what the point of the passage of 1 John is in contrast with the action of Cain against Abel. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible that gives us a picture of who you are. It gives us the full and complete unveiling of your truth. It tells us about who your son Jesus is and how you sent him on this ultimate rescue mission for us to save us from the sin that is crouching at our door, that, that wants to control us and that we somehow must find a way to rule over it. Lord, we thank you that you have come to rule over the sin in our lives. I pray that you'll help us to see that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, real quick, before we go on, I want to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, we're picking up there today in, in the middle of a chapter in verse 12. The, the previous verse, which we closed on last week, verse 10, says, 
this, that, that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The person who does not love his brother is not of God. And then it goes right into verse 11, which says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. If I, if I were to give a title to this message today, it would be the question that Cain asked God when God confronted him about the whereabouts of Abel. It would be this question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I to keep my brother? And for us to answer that question, we have to understand a little bit about what it means to, to keep our brother or our sister. And, and I'll say this before I go on too much further. Oftentimes, uh, when the Bible speaks of brothers, because of the, the culture of the world in which the Bible was written many years ago, uh, they often are referring to everyone, in fact. And so that is just a blanket term. So if I say that today, my brother, I, I'm, I'm referring to all of us, brother and sister. So you'll have to forgive me if I forget get to include and sister as well. But, but I'm including all of us in that. Am I to be my brother and my sister's keeper? Well, we have to understand what this word keeper means. It, it literally carries with it the idea of, of a guardian or a protector, someone who will secure something, a security guard over something. So Cain asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know where he is? Am I supposed to tend to my brother? Am I supposed to keep him safe? Am I supposed to be responsible for him? Now, I have a, a brother. His name is Billy, and I don't like him. I kid, I kid. We get along pretty well for, for what it's worth. But, but I have said some pretty horrible things to him before. I've called him strange. I've called him weird to his face and to others, okay? But I, he's my brother, so I can do that, right? If you have a brother, you understand that it, it, it becomes okay to do that. But one time I was trying to set him up with this girl who he's... It's a person that he is not yet married to and not married. It's not the person he's married to now. And, and he didn't know I was trying to do this, but I, I like tried to make this connection. I was like, hey, do you know my brother? He's, he's pretty smart. He's really funny. And I think you might be a good fit for him. And she's like, okay, I, I will think about it. And then I find out later that she said to someone else, Joe's brother is a little odd. I hope he's not watching this message. <laughs> She said, he, he's a little odd. That infuriated me. Now, I'll tell you this. He is a little odd, okay? <laughs> but that made me so mad. You don't get to say that. That's my brother. You don't get to say that. And if I ever see her again, I won't say what I am really thinking because I'm a Christian. But that really upset me because he's my brother. Because even though we've had our differences over time, there's something within me that drives me to, to protect him and care for him, especially since he's my younger brother. So I feel a sense of responsibility over him. Now, responsibility is kind of a weird thing because this is really what Cain is asking God. Am I really responsible for my brother Abel? Now, responsibility is strange because there are different types of responsibility. There's personal responsibility that each one of us has. For example, it is my responsibility to brush my teeth in the morning. Ron, you, you shouldn't have to call me and tell me to brush my teeth in the morning, okay? 
okay? It is my responsibility to, to pick up after myself when I make a mess in the house, and thankfully my wife does that for me. So. But it's my responsibility to do that. I just delegated it to her without saying so. It, it's my responsibility to make sure that my yard is clean. It's, it's my responsibility to make sure that I have a relationship with God. It's not, it's not your responsibility to, to make sure that I'm doing that, right? So we all have personal responsibilities that are important for us, but we also have shared responsibilities that we take on together. For example, in, on my street, we all share the responsibility if we're parking or if we have guests parking in front of our home that we don't park in the middle of the street. We share responsibility when it comes to traffic laws. Like, you know, when the green light is on, what do we do? We know we go. When there's a red light, we know we stop. When there's a yellow light, we know we go faster. Like we, we share the responsibility of following those rules that we have. So there are personal responsibilities and shared responsibilities. And sh we also share the responsibility of making sure that the whole world gets the opportunity to hear about who Jesus is and what he has done for those of us who know him. And in that sense, we share a responsibility to care for one another's spirituality. It's not your responsibility to make sure that I am following Jesus. It's not my responsibility to make sure that you are following Jesus, but it is all of our responsibility to care for one another that we are following Jesus. Now, the interesting thing with this command that we should love one another and not be like Cain is that John spoke this to the church. He's telling that to Christians. Now, why does he have to remind good Christians that they should love each other and not become like Cain and not murder each other physically, not murder each other with their words? Well, all we have to do is look at our world over the past year and a half and see how so many of us inside the church and out have murdered others with our words. Sometimes we've fired shots within the church at other Christians, at other believers. So it's imperative that, that this command, this, this urging from God comes, that, that we stop and consider, are my actions more like Cain or are my actions like Jesus, who John says laid down his life for us, which we will talk about shortly. Now, the interesting thing about Cain and Abel is that both of them, from our perspective, are worshiping God. They're both bringing an offering to God. Each one of them is engaged in an act of worship. One of them, however, cared so much more about the way his religion looked than he cared about loving his brother. And this is Cain. Now, sometimes our religion actually can get in the way of us loving other people. It used to manifest itself, and maybe it does in many other churches. We don't really have that culture here at Renaissance, but it used to, and sometimes at other churches maybe manifest itself by this, like, well, I could never be seen with those people. Have you ever heard anyone in the church say that? Well, I, I, could, I could never be seen talking to them. I could never have them to my home because what would other people think of me? Sometimes our religion will get in the way 
of our love for others. There was this phrase that used to be, I used to hear in the church growing up, it was this, and I don't know how true it is, but it rings true in this sense, that sometimes we can be so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that statement? That, that we can have our thoughts so focused on our religion that we're no good to the people around us. Now, 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That we would not just talk about love. That, that we wouldn't just make a social media post about how much we love God, but not let our life reflect it. That we wouldn't just post things on social media about how, how much we care about issues in the world, but actually take no action in our own personal lives. I, uh, this week, a friend of mine said this to me, and it blew my mind because I've never considered it this way. He said that social media is just relationship porn. It's a substitute for the real thing that we go and we divulge in because we're afraid to actually engage in the real thing, the real relationship with other people. It gives us a pass. It makes it feel like we can spout off all of our opinions, whereas if we had a flesh and blood person across from us, we would be so much more gracious, wouldn't we? We would be so different in the way we approach others. We might even consider why they think the way they do if we had a person sitting across from us. Now, one of the greatest pictures I think we have in the Bible of religion getting in the way of love is found in a story that Jesus told. We don't know if this is a true story or not. It doesn't tell us that it's necessarily a parable, which are stories he used to make a point. He often did that. So we don't know if it's a true story or not. But regardless, he tells this story to a man who's a religious leader who approaches him and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to get to heaven? It's a pretty fair question. And Jesus says to him, well, what does the law say? What, what does the Bible say about that? He might, we might say it in our terms. And he responds with this. Well, the, the Bible says that you should love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. If you do those things, I bet you'd go to heaven. And then the man, the Bible says, wanted to justify himself. And you can read the story in Luke chapter 10 if you want to look it up later. But it says this man wanted to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus begins to tell a story. He says, there was a man who was on his way to a city called Jericho, leaving Jerusalem. And on his way to Jericho, he went through a way that was known at the time to be filled with thieves and muggers. And it was believed that if you went this way alone, you were probably going to get mugged. So here's a guy who's alone, who's at the wrong place at the wrong time. He's where he should not have been. And the Bible tells us that he fell among thieves. He got mugged and they beat him and left him half dead. They beat him so badly that it appeared as though he were dead. And so here's this half-dead man who looks like a dead man laying along the side of the road. And along comes a priest, Jesus says. Now the priest at that time was believed to be God's representative on earth to the nation. And he was also believed to represent the nation Israel to God. So he's kind of like an ambassador between heaven and earth. And it was expected that the priest as an ambassador between heaven and earth would live a certain way, that he would maintain a, a certain level of ceremonial purity, that, that he would kind of be perfect. And one of those things that kept him 
pure was a command that he was never to approach a dead body. So as he's coming along this way, he sees a half-dead man who to him probably looks dead. And so what does he do as a good priest trying to to make his way to where he's going, trying to fulfill his duty and not wanting to make himself unclean or impure, he walks around what he thinks is a dead body, but is actually a living person. Then Jesus says, along came a Levite. Now a Levite was a descendant of a man named Levi, who was a son of a man named Israel, from whom his 12 sons, uh, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the Levites were the, the tribe that were, that were tasked with tending to the temple. It was their job to sweep the floors. They, they hung the curtains. They made sure that the temple was ready to welcome people into it. And it was also expected of these Levites that they also maintain a certain level of purity and cleanness and holiness before God, including not approaching a dead body. So when he comes along the way and sees the half-dead man, who he probably believes is dead, he passes around as well. Now Jesus continues the story by saying, then a Samaritan came through. Now the Samaritans were a group of people who lived in north central Israel. And they were basically half Jewish, half Assyrian essentially, and they were rejected by the Jewish people. In fact, they were thought of as less than Dogs. So if a, a, a good Jewish person was leaving the southern portion of Israel and traveling to the northern portion of Israel, he would actually travel around Samaria so as not have to go through their land, adding days to the trip. But this Samaritan, who has no reason to maintain any kind of purity or cleanness because he's already unclean by virtue of who he is, when he sees the half-dead man, who probably appears to be dead, he has no religion that keeps him from tending to this man. And so he goes to him and finds that he's actually alive. The Bible says that he bandages his wounds, he puts him on a donkey, and he takes him to Jericho, and he puts him up in a hotel, and he asks the hotel owner to make sure that he's taken care of, just make sure that he lives, and I'll pay for everything that you spend on it. And then Jesus says to the man who asked him the question, who's my neighbor? He says, who do you think of these three was a better neighbor? And the man said, well, obviously it's the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, you should go and do the same thing. The challenging thing for that man is that to have done the same thing would have made him unclean. (laughs) Jesus says, if your dead religion is keeping you from loving a living person, You need to throw that out. Now, I'd love to put myself in that story and say that I would be like the Good Samaritan and I would stop and help the person who is in need. And at my very worst, I might even be able to say that I might make it along the way and pass through as one of the priests or the Levites. But here's the reality that I find most oftentimes is that I'm not the Good Samaritan, I'm not the priest or the Levite, I'm usually the guy who's getting mugged by my sin and left for dead alongside of the road. And here's the thing, we're all getting mugged by sin all the time because as 
God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Verse 7. And its desire is contrary to you. It does not want for you what God has created you for. And it will take you out. Now this word crouching literally has with it the idea of an animal with four legs laying on the ground. If I have my front door open and the sun is shining in, my little dog will run over to where the sunshine is and lay down there. And I can't get her to move for nothing. She just basks in the sunlight. She's in the way. She crouches at my door. And if I want to close the door to leave, if I want to go do something else, she's in the way. Sin is the same thing. It will get in our way and crouch and keep us from moving forward into whatever God has for us to do next. This is what sin does. Sin will always be in the way. It will always keep me from doing what God wants me to to do, and it always sneaks up on you at the times you least expect it. I had a great week this week as far as sin goes. Now, hear me out. I don't mean I I sinned a lot. What I mean is I feel like I sinned a little bit this week. You ever have one of those weeks where you're like, you know what, I'm kind of crushing it in the in the no sin thing this week. I had a good attitude, even though some some things came my way that wouldn't have necessarily made me have a good attitude. I I, I was feeling pretty good most of the week. Until Friday morning, I'm sitting at a stoplight. And it's a red light, and I can only turn right or turn left. And the people coming from my left are stopped, and I'm stopped at the red light. Now, I don't know if they're about to get a green light or I'm about to get a green light. So I wait because if I was in my own car, I would have floored it. But today, on Friday morning, I'm driving a friend's car. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But the lady behind me, and if this was you, if you're here today, (laughs) I need grace. The lady behind me honks at me, and I'm like, so I like intuitively pull forward a little bit, and then I just stop, and I'm like, no! I turn around, and I scream, the light is red! (laughs) And then I pull away. (laughs) And I'm fuming about that, like, you honked at me, the light, I was sitting at a, I was doing literally what I was supposed to do. You honked at me, why would you honk at me? And all of a sudden I realize, that I am just gone overboard with my attitude. Like, Lord, how did this happen? How how did I get to this place? Oh my gosh, sin was crouching at the door, wasn't it? And it just got me. I didn't even see it coming. I had a great week. I was on spiritual cloud nine. I thought I was doing so great. And this sin in me, this anger that comes up when people tell me to do something that I know I should be doing, it really upsets me. And so I just blew up at this complete stranger that I hope is not here right now. This is what sin will do. Now, a little bit of backstory as to why I may have blown up so easily in this moment and why I was in someone else's truck is be someone else's car is because um, I brought bought a truck this week, 
which is kind of fun. I have always wanted a, a pickup truck, but I've never really needed one until recently. My wife and I, over the past, over this year, 2021, have had about six times where we have let something go that we saw on Facebook Marketplace just because we didn't want to bother dad and say, hey, can we borrow your truck again? You know, you know what I'm talking about? So when the opportunity came to buy a truck, I did it. And so I'm sitting with a friend of mine who owns a car lot, and I look out at a truck, and I said, do you think I need a truck? And he tells me, every man with a home needs a truck. And I said, yes, I do. So I bought the truck. Well, I test drove it first, and I'm test driving the truck on Thursday morning, and I go to pull into a parking lot, and just as I'm pulling in, I lose power steering, and the car starts smoking. And I'm parking in a church parking lot because I'm going into a funeral of a friend's loved one. So I pull in with this smoking truck, barely, at a funeral. And the parking lot attendant comes out and he's like, Mr., are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just here for the funeral. And I text my friend and tell him what happened. Well, thank God he's also my mechanic because he came and fixed it while I was at the funeral. So this car blows up on me and he fixes it and it's ready to ride by the time... I get out of there. So it's fine at that point. Turns out it just the power steering line, it was old and it burst. It's an older truck and the spray of the fluid on the engine caused smoke to come up. And I'm like, that's fair enough. He's fixed it totally fine. Tell my wife, I think I want this truck. And she's like, go for it, baby. There's nothing like a man in a pickup truck. She didn't say that, but she was, she was thinking it, I know. And so I go by the pickup truck, and he's like, now, I do need to bleed the brakes, because as you noticed, Joe, they were just a little bit soft when you go to push them. And I'm like, yeah, they were a little bit. He's like, if you give me 15 minutes, it won't take any time at all. And I'm like, yeah, 15 minutes, but that's literally all the time I have, no more. So he gets under there, and he bleeds the brakes, and it's awesome. He's like, now, they may still be a little soft. When you have more time, come back tomorrow. I'll bleed the back ones. You'll be in great shape. I'm like, cool. Well, I pull out of the parking lot, and they feel softer than before. So I am turn around. I'm like, we'll be fine. We'll make it home, and it'll be okay. And I'm going down the road, and I'm coming up to a stoplight, and there's two lanes to go forward and then a turn lane to turn left into a parking lot. And I start to slow down, and I just lose the brakes completely. They just die. I know. <laughs> and I have nowhere to go because there are three cars in front of me in the direction that I'm going. So I do, you know what any person in my situation would do, I would think. I don't know. I've never been in that situation before, but I just cross into oncoming traffic because <laughs> I can't hit the people who are in front of me, and it, the people who are coming my way will at least see me. And so I cross that way, and I hop up onto the sidewalk, and I'm driving through parking lots, and I can't find the e-brake because I don't know where it is yet, and I'm praying, Jesus, take the wheel and I finally find the e-brake and the truck stops and I pick up my phone to call my buddy and he texts me and he's like, man, I'm a little worried about those brakes, so let me know if you have any trouble. <laughs> well, I let him know when he comes get, gets me and long story short, he fixed it, but he found out that it was this issue that I can't even begin to explain, but he's like, I've never seen that before in my life. Wow. 
And I'm screaming the whole time, like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, take the wheel, because this really feels like what life does sometimes when sin takes us way out of control, and we just can't stop, and we just keep going. And I can't find it in me to love my brother. I can't find it in me to love my sister. I can't find it in me to display any kind of Christ-likeness. Jesus, I need you to take over. And I'm screaming that in the truck, and I'm screaming that often in life. And here's the thing. If you just continue with the analogy with me for a moment and imagine driving down the road and you scream to Jesus who's your co-pilot like the bumper sticker used to say take the wheel Jesus and he takes the wheel but something comes up in the road and we don't think Jesus has it all figured out so we take the wheel back don't we and eventually he says if you really want me to drive you've got to get out of the driver's seat so we pull over just continue with me in this analogy for a moment we pull over and we get out of the driver's seat and we pass Jesus who's walking to the driver's seat. And we get in the passenger seat and we continue on down the road and Jesus is doing just fine driving because he's Jesus, but something comes up and we, it doesn't make that much sense to us and we wonder where in the world is he going? What in the world is he doing? So we reach over and we take the wheel and he says, this isn't gonna work if you keep trying to drive. So he pulls over and he gets out and comes to the passenger side and he says, Joe, get in the trunk. <laughs> we want Jesus to take the wheel. We might even want Jesus to drive, but as long as we're still in the cab, we're gonna try to take control. Jesus says, get in the trunk because in the trunk, we don't know where we're going. We, we don't know what he's doing. We don't know if we're cruising. We don't know if we're stopped, really. We can't see a thing. We just have to completely trust that he is in control. If we really expect ourselves, who are always beset by the sin that's crouching at our door, that's contrary to us, to actually love our brother, as the Bible says, if we expect ourselves to lay down our lives for our brother, 1 John 3, 14, it says, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brother, love the brothers. If we really expect to pass from death to life, we can't be in control. I don't have it in me to not yell at the person who honks at me from behind me. Jesus in me has to be the one showing the love. And here's why he can do it. Am I my brother's keeper? I would like to be. I'm really bad at it. Are you your brother's keeper? You're probably also bad at it. Here's the thing. We, we get to go on and we get empowered by God to do that because Jesus is our keeper. He's the one who has guarded and protected and secured us. Genesis 4.10, it says, God said to Cain, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Your brother's blood is crying out to me. Hebrews 12.24 speaks of this moment where the blood of Abel was crying to God from the ground. And what was it crying? Probably something like vengeance. Take vengeance on me. He killed me and I didn't even see him coming. Lord, would you, would you avenge what my brother did to me? Hebrews 12, 24 says that the blood of Jesus also cries out to God. But 
Hebrews 12.24 says it speaks better things than Abel's blood does. Abel's blood cries out, take vengeance on the one who has wronged me. Jesus' blood cries out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, have mercy on them because this is what my blood is for. Instead of receiving the death sentence of sin, we are all given brand new life through Jesus. 1 John 3, 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We have this great example of sacrificial love, of laying down the life. But here's the problem with the story. I'm always more like Cain. I'm always more like the one who sin is crouching at my door and and won't let me do those things God has commanded me to do. But thank God, Jesus is better than Abel, who even though he died, even though it was my sin that killed him, he still cries out for my mercy. So what do I do in those moments where I read where the Bible says you must love one another? It's non-negotiable. In fact, it's proof that you are a follower of Christ, that you love one another. We seem to have a real problem with that. And I think it's because we're gripping the wheel. We've got to let Jesus take control. We've got to let Jesus love through us. We've got to let Jesus lead us. We've got to lay our lives down to him, surrendering to him, saying, Jesus, you lead my life and love others through me because I can't do it without you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you have graciously laid down your life for us so that we might have freedom from our sin, forgiveness from our sin, and that we might have the power from you to love others. Lord, we pray that that you would open up our eyes to this power today, that that you would strengthen us and encourage us, those of us who feel discouraged by the things that we've done or our inadequacies and our love for you and our love for others. Lord, remind us that because of what you've done for us, the love that you've displayed for us, the love that you poured out for us, the new life that you give to us, Lord, we can't do it on our own, but through you, we can. With God, all things are possible. Lord, step in the next time we go to open our mouths and say something we shouldn't. Lord, step in next time we go to to type that message that we really feel like is going to make things better, but will only damage and destroy. Lord, step in and bring reconciliation to relationships that have been damaged and cut off. Lord, Lord, do what you do and help us to love one another. We thank you, Lord, that it's easy for you, and so we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you, so please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 